episode 8 of Dr. Kino's Film Emporium. Uh, I am Toby Reynolds, still, and we're seven, episode, seven or eight episodes in. And for this uh, particular episode, we have Jax Griffin. And Jax Griffin is a PhD student at UEA, and her particular area of interest is something a little bit offbeat. So I think I could just see her coming down the road at the moment. Yep, she's got yeah, something under her arm. Uh-huh, okay. Oh, that looks that looks rather experimental to me. Okay, interesting. Okay, so oh here she is. And hello Jax. Hi, Toby. It's lovely to meet lovely to see you in the Emporium. Thank you so much for uh, for having me over here. Not a problem, uh, not a problem. Please take a seat. Yeah, take Thank a seat, you. hang up your coat. It's uh, yeah, and you've got you've got something interestingly shaped. Looks it does look experimental. Who what or who what have you brought for the Emporium? Ah, so I have brought a uh, a little short film from a crazy filmmaker named Stan Brackage, and uh, it's called The Act of Seeing with One's Own Eyes. Hmm, interesting. What year was this made? 1972. Okay, interesting. So vietnam war going on and other things because he's done i've heard of stan brackage but don't know his work as so such it, so yeah so he was a very interesting um filmmaker he he uh, was active from 1952 oh, okay. to, to 2003 mm-hmm. um 1971 sorry um this is the film and uh he made all kinds of stuff from from very straightforward dramas particularly at the beginning of his career mm-hmm. um, to sort of home movies presented as art films to very, very experimental abstract work, which was scratched onto film okay. and, uh, you know, painted on a number, you know, glued on uh, the film called Mothlight, where he glued bits and pieces of twigs no. and bugs. Oh, wow. So... So not not your average um, multiplex uh, release for Christmas or for for something. <laughs> no, no, Fantastic. certainly not. Certainly not somebody you would find down at Cineworld. Okay. But absolutely, somebody whose films were screened worldwide and, and certainly celebrated in uh, his niche. Fantastic, great. We'll talk about that in more depth later because this is uh, um the first uh, episode, uh, which I actually name checked you. And in that, because of, uh, I think there's possibly some Stan Brackage influence on Godfrey Reggio, who made it uh, in just in terms of the, of the sort of the concept of a, of a film without any actors, but that still tells a story. So would that be about right? I would absolutely agree with that. There's actually some amazing conversations. If you, um, I believe they're hosted on the University of Colorado at Boulder's websites between the two of them. Fantastic, really? Um, oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, great. They oh, that's correspondence. Good. Oh, wonderful. Okay, super. So, the question, Jax, that I always ask every visitor to the Emporium, and it's always really revealing, I think, uh, what <laughs> was the first film that you remember seeing at the cinema? So I had to actually double-check this with my mom. Mm-hmm. But it, the, the Little Mermaid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Disney. It's just it's always Disney. That's the it's always the fourth, Disney. That's the fourth um that's the fourth Disney film we've had. Fantastic. Okay, so yeah. and the other one was a Don Bluth film, so it's always a cartoon. Which does kind of figure if you're about five or six or seven or whatever. Okay. Tell me about Little Mermaid. What what kind of impact? Why did you remember it? 
Um, well, gosh, I am one of these weird examples where, yeah, I, I focus on experimental film and I'm really into the sort of far reaches of what you can do and how far you can push cinema, but I love Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I love movies and I used to watch Disney movies over and over and over again as a kid and Little Mermaid. I think I love the music. I watch it with my daughter and we sing along and she really likes fish. So that, you know, she, she just really likes to watch the film. It's a no brainer. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raina Dennison, um, she remembers her first film actually game uh, two episodes ago. She was blown away by Return of the Jedi so much so that she pestered her father into buying um, an Ewok from the concession oh. stall which I thought was you know that's that's marketing that is marketing for you did you buy any Disney merchandise afterwards did you have any uh, uh, aerial aerial dolls or anything or was there something in the bath that you could stick in there and it would be a little mermaid I I had a flounder bath toy okay. I didn't even I didn't even remember that until you asked me that oh my I god you see this is where cinema is just it just takes you back doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's strong stuff yeah Brilliant. okay so this this clearly obviously made an impression on you um going through um i'm assuming you're american as well i i am american fantastic yeah, whereabouts in america i grew up this is actually speaking of cinema ties i grew up in a town called downingtown pennsylvania which is mm -hmm. a small town outside of philadelphia they actually filmed the original blob there oh okay yes okay <laughs> the one with steve mcqueen in yeah the one with steve mcqueen fantastic Okay. Would it does that not that doesn't surprise you in terms that your your town was chosen for the blog? Was it one of those classic small town American it, small it's, towns? It's very Americana small town. You know, sure. it's got this coffee shop that's been there since the fifties, and and the diner the diner from the Blob is actually still there. And, oh, brilliant! Um, yeah, and so is the the cinema from the Blob is still there, and they do a Blob Fest every year. Um, of course they do. Okay, that's, <laughs> a, that's just a, it's just goes you know. The, yeah, what's not to like about a blog fest? Yeah. So at high school, were you? Uh, this is you know, uh, were the films part of your education, or was it something that you started not, to explore and develop your own taste in film? Yeah, not so much part of my you know formal education, but certainly my own explorations. I actually became. I have a thing with I guess stands. Um, I became really obsessed with Stanley Kubrick. Oh, okay and another stanley okay yeah yeah um particularly dr strangelove mm, mm. just really struck a chord with me and mm -hmm. um that's actually what sort of propelled me into chasing film as a career okay yeah what do you think of later kubrick i i actually love um, eyes wide shut if that's what you're asking uh, um, sort of like, I was thinking full metal jacket onwards which full metal kind of jacket yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like full metal jacket I prefer pads of glory mm, mm -hmm. um, I much prefer pads of glory I think because um, I'm, I'm quite a pacifist actually Mm -hmm. And I feel, you know, Full Metal Jacket, he was very much being neutral. People mm. think it's anti-war, but it's not. It's about both sides, right? So mm -hmm. Paths of Glory is very, very anti-war. And I think that speaks to me personally a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So going into, so you finish high school, what happens next? Oh, gosh. So I... <laughs> or is that too personal? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, it's, it's a... 
it's a little ridiculous. So I was all set. I was going to do chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to the University of Pittsburgh, and I said, um, I said to my guidance counselor, I'd like to change to film, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bit of a, I mean, obviously, chemistry is involved in film if you go down the 35 mil <laughs> developing route. Right. <laughs> And uh, he was a bit like, are you, are you uh, absolutely sure? Um, I was like, yes. And then I only spent a semester. I, I, I left there and I moved to Los Angeles and I enrolled mm-hmm. in film school in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, did that. I went to the Los Angeles film school and then I worked in LA in film industry for a few years Okay. before sort of finding my way back to the East Coast. And it's sort of a crossroads in my life. Mm-hmm. Thought you know I want to continue my education. I still want to do film, but I'm I'm not sure exactly what. So I I looked into doing a master's, and that's sort of what brought me over to the UK. Okay, cool. And you've been here for how many years? Since 2012. So ah yeah eight eight years. years. Yeah, it goes fast. Yeah, yes, it does. Okay, so you come to England and you think ah I need to get to do a PhD because. You know, I just haven't got enough going on in my life, and <laughs> I need something else to fill my <laughs> yeah. fill my evenings and weekends. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. I need, you know, I I didn't have enough stress as a sure, you know, yeah, you think, young know, person you, trying to survive. Yeah, let's add a bit more in there as well, and you know, and make it expensive, and oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you uh, you're based in Bradford, but you you got um, you're doing your PhD uh, part time at UEA. Um, I am. <laughs> yes. Which no, it's if you know if that's where the if that's where the expertise are, then that's where they are, and it's a fine it's a fine established um, educational uh, institution. So, tell me about Stan Brackage, because and why did you pick Stan as your as your PhD subject? Um, yeah, I had always kind of had an interest in Stan Brackage because I saw in one of my film classes, I saw actually Mothlight, the film that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind, this idea that someone went, I'm not even going to use a camera. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not going to, you know, it's going to be a physical film that you see. It's not animated, but I'm, I'm not going to use a camera and I'm going to make a film and you're going to watch it. And that just totally expanded my idea of what was even possible. And so as a practitioner, I got interested in experimental film and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And so, as you know, when it comes time to do a PhD, everything has been done. Mm. Um, (laughs) You have to keep finding your niche. Right. You need to find new knowledge. And I had always originally planned to to study Kubrick. Mm -hmm. And everything has been said about Kubrick that Mm -hmm. I think could possibly be said. I didn't really see, without making a lot of extra work for myself, how Mm. I would be adding anything to, to the world with, uh, you know, some theories on Kubrick. I didn't, at least at the time, I didn't have anything interesting. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I returned to, to Brackage and this idea of um, remediation, which I'd gotten really interested in on my master's, and then uh, film po- and poetry. And okay, yeah. Combining mm-hmm. all of these things. And it's moved away from um, remediation quite a bit, but that was where it started. Okay. Okay, so, so Stan, if we start this sort of, so you say about 1952, he's he's getting into, he's starting to make experimental films, or I mean, he's sort of plowing his own furrow, isn't it? And this is a really exciting time for American art generally, because you've got lots of interesting stuff going on in New York, 
San Francisco, mm-hmm. and he's very much part of those scenes, isn't he? Certainly in New York. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was go for it. He's he's very much sort of on the back of the beat generation. Not he. I think I think he probably desperately wanted to be part of it. Oh, okay. But... He he originally tried to be a poet. Okay. Right. Um. And he was, you know, he knew Jack Kerouac. He knew, you know, he knew some of these major players mm-hmm. um, in in that movement, and very much got swept up into it. Um, but moved to film, as you said earlier, um, before we started recording, actually, um, was started started in film to really make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, there's lots of money in art, in experimental art films, obviously. <laughs> right. But yeah. He, but he did. He he managed to get hired to do some of these things oh, and to get paid. Okay. And, and he he did make for the time. He managed to make himself a living. That's um, pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, okay. doing these bizarre little art films. And, okay. Yeah. So was there? I mean, during the thirties with uh, Roosevelt's New Deal, was there like mm. uh, sort of the forerunner of the National Endowment of the Arts? Do they have pots of money? available for artists to to access sort of whatever you know however those were distributed or or were formulated was you he know, a beneficiary I, of those not that i'm aware of i know he was he was sort of you could say sponsored by various artists okay. and things like that mm-hmm. um i want to say joseph conrad okay um who's a writer yeah um is that right? No, that can't be right. He's a bit earlier, I think. Early yeah, century, yeah, yeah. Who's the yeah. Who's the guy I'm thinking of? Um, he was hired to make a film called The Wonder Ring, mm-hmm. and the guy who uh, I'm really sorry, Joseph Cornell. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm like it's Joseph C, and yep. you know how you get those names mixed up. Oh yes. Um, yeah. Um, and that was like only 1955, so it was only like mm. a couple years into his career, and he gets hired to make this film about uh, the uh, the L train in New York, the Third okay. Avenue L train, mm-hmm. which is like not not in uh, existence anymore. And that was the whole okay. point of the film; it's mm-hmm. like a commemoration. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that was like sort of like a mentor person for him. So, like uh, Maya Darren, I think he lived with indeed. for a while. Right, indeed, yeah. Maya Darren. Yeah, she. Um... I saw Meshes of the Afternoon a couple of years ago, and yeah, that was an interesting, interesting film as well. And she died quite young, didn't she? I think as well. It was a bit of a. There was. Um, yeah, and yeah. like not. She's actually a huge part of my PhD. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and like I said, it's it's moved away from where it was originally, mm, and sure. and her her thoughts on film poetry mm. and, oh, and yes. poetry itself where and she it's really horrible because like you said she 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 died kind of young she was sort of sort of underappreciated oh yes as a yeah. female filmmaker and theorist and things like that and you know she's giving these theories and is just totally brushed aside by the men in the room and it's just <laughs> <laughs> oh where have we heard that before yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's been rehabilitated i think isn't she the there were certain there's Certainly, Yvonne Tasker at, at UEA um, set Maya Duren as part of the cinematography uh, for, the, for the basic sort of, you know, um, film theory classes that I was uh, I was privileged enough to teach. And she, she oh, set the uh, the film and she one of those was Maya Duren. First time I came across her as well. So I was, oh, wow. yeah, and it's this very strong strain of surrealism 
it's quite sinister yeah. as well, isn't it? There's a lot of oh, yeah, the knife and yeah, like that strong imagery mm. of the the figure chasing the other figure. Yeah, very dreamlike, wasn't it? Very nightmarish yeah. in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yes. So Maya Duren, um, yeah, the I think she died in the forties, didn't she? Mid forties? Oh no, sorry. Um, later she was doing much. Yeah, it would have been a bit later. Yeah. Yes, in the sometime in the fifties. Yeah. So Brackage, there's a link there. So she actually lived in her apartment. I think they, I think yeah. he li- I think he lived with Maya Darren for a bit. I know, okay. like he he certainly he certainly spoke with her, and she speaks of him mm. very highly. Okay. Um, in the uh, the film and film and video in the film symposium, or film in the poetry and the film a symposium, which is hosted by Willard Maz and has uh, Parker Tyler and you know. Um, Dylan Thomas. And... Okay, yeah. So there's <laughs> all these kind of serious uh, players in the uh, 1950s art scene. Does yeah. it does it co- does his stuff cross over into into pop art as he's sort of doing the whole Rauschenbach or Rauschenberg and uh, Roy Lichtenstein? Are they are they moving in the same circles or? Um, they may have been moving in the same circles. His art certainly kind of veered away from that. It was it was much more focused on um, a realistic kind of portrayal that's really his hunt throughout his career is he's trying to show vision Mm. as as it is seen he's trying to replicate human vision and that's even what he's doing with the the films that are scratched he's trying to replicate the way that light uh permeates your eyelids when you shut them things like that oh interesting okay yep yep so, so obviously, he's yeah. throw, does he throw out narrative as well? Is it all very cut-up stuff, or is it is there a, is there a kind of narrative in there? Or um, you've got a few films that have narrative. You've got a, a particularly they're mostly in the early years. Uh, you've got things like uh, the Way to the Shadow Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Blue Moses, which is a really fascinating film. Um, actually has dialogue it has an actor it's very rare for him mm-hmm. um and then in the late 80s you have a an adaptation of faust over oh films. wow okay stamp that would yeah yeah mm, brackish does uh, faust interesting <laughs> brackish does faust it's it's also interesting <laughs> again there's an actor there's dialogue a lot of his films are completely silent no mm. sound at all so not even music not even music ah interesting interesting because the the oft thing is the oft quoted thing is that silent films aren't silent because they do have music there was a key part of of the uh, early early cinema so but Brackish yeah. doesn't actually have any music in it so no, it's just image just image and there's a lot of focus on the film technology so you know the the concept that it's still not silent because these would have been projected. So there would have been this um, rhythmic sort of hum and ticking okay. from the from the film projector. Okay, so it's kind of the um, it's, uh, it's diegetic sound in terms of what's in the room rather than what's right. in the film. Yeah, interesting. Right. Okay, okay. So the kind of scout scene it's been described as a a visual tone poem. Would you be? Would you? be happy about applying that to to Brackage's work as well or uh yeah so this, this is this is now my PhD is is what do we actually mean when we say that um rather than just taking well I guess this is yeah so this is where the remediation bar from 
if we're going to borrow poetry and bring it into film, we need to have, we need to mean something when we say that. Um, mm. And I think a lot of people say a film is poetic and they mean they mm. liked it. They think it was beautiful. Okay. But poetry um, isn't always beautiful, is it? So, poetry is not. A, you have yeah. Vogon poetry. It's horrible. It hurts people, yes. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it kills people. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you have to have bad poetry. And I, what I think is great is in my research, I found someone referring to Yui Bowl as a poet. I think that's great. That's an interesting... Um, theory um <laughs> i think that needs to be explored okay yeah yeah <laughs> now returning to your returning to yeah. your question yeah i do think it applies because i think um koyana skazi is doing things with rhythm it's mm. doing oh god yes very much with yeah. color mm-hmm. and theme and and you know there are things happening in there that you can say um this is creating from my theory, because we have to talk about film as film, we can't talk about it as words, right? Exactly. Yeah, it is. Right. A, it's its own medium, isn't it? Right. So that's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. That's very hard to do without because we use words <laughs> to talk about it. So we are constantly going back to a linguistic reference. Mm-hmm. And that's is really hard to get away from. But. If we take Maya Darren's theories, and that is this idea of the vertical, that a poem in film is going to explore a moment. It's going to look at the emotional side of things, you could say. Mm-hmm. And that is going to disregard sort of time. Mm-hmm. And film gives you this amazing ability to do that. Because mm. it it's... I mean, with kind of Scarcity, it was watershed film for me in that it was film as experience and it bypassed the sort of the more intellectual language part of my brain and just it was it acted on emotional, I think, centres much, much, much uh, more strongly than I think right, and- perhaps a talking film. So is that what Stan Brackage, is he trying to perhaps bypass some of our more rational uh, intellectualizing parts of us and, and just go directly to to move us right i think and that's yes i that's exactly what i think is happening so rather than saying um having it some kind of dialogue explanation this is what we're talking about using this amazing unique ability of film to show us uh, and trigger an emotion and do so by uh, potentially showing you the same moment over and over again. And, and so over the space of, say, 30 minutes, you could watch a single moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's n- literally not possible outside of, of that medium mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it's the nature of how you edit and things, right? right? It just gets into the nature of the film technology. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's something very difficult to, to put your finger on mm-hmm. precisely. Sure. Let's focus on the film that you've chosen. So, sure. What, yes, what was it again? It's the act of seeing with one's own eyes. Eyes, right. And the, this is from 1971. 1971. And okay. it is um, what I am going to call a documentary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get into genre theory, but no, I'm indeed, no, that's fine. We'll leave that. We'll leave that well alone. <laughs> yep, it's a brackishmentary yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. It is dealing with um, a factual situation, real people, um, and it is essentially documenting various autopsies. Oh, okay. Strong, quite strong stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very difficult watch. And the reason I, I, I thought a lot about what film I was going to pick. Um, and the reason I picked this one is because I think as both a, a, someone who loves film, loves to study film and a practitioner, there is so much to be gained um, from this pretty much silent 30-ish minute film of really difficult subject matter um, which manages to be portrayed in a very interesting way because of the way that it's the way that it's filmed and the way that things are revealed to you as a viewer mm-hmm. um, and I think it manages to make quite a profound statement on death mm-hmm. uh, without actually <laughs> saying anything and and quite a profound statement on our attitudes towards death like as a society Mm. um which i find can be very uh, there's a disinterested attitude throughout the film okay so it's sort of very removed yes yeah okay Okay. yeah it's cold right which makes sense i am i am sorry that my dog keeps whining that's okay but um but yeah it make it makes sense because these are people who as you see in the film, like the bodies start to sort of turn into one another. You can't really tell what's what and who's who. Ooh, okay. Right. And if you're a mortician, I would imagine that that is pretty much how you see them. Mm. Yeah, one really not much different from the other. and it's Right, you know, it's just another day in the office kind of sure. deal. So less uh, six foot under and, uh, and more sort of factory-like. Yeah. Right, mm. which, you know... Six Foot Under is, is one of my favorite ever TV shows. Oh, brilliant. But... <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Best ending of a TV show ever. I've actually got the fifth season and I haven't seen it yet. I've got, a oh, thing, I won't I've got an say inkling. Anything. I've got an inkling of what's going to happen because, yeah, there's, it's been 20 years, I think, or whatever. Um, yeah. That's part of 20 years. So you pick up things. But yeah, I will. Yeah. I will see that at some point. So it is my favorite ending ever. Okay. And yeah, so the, the, so the film is at half an hour and what's what does it leave you with at the end if you can get through it i find it incredibly difficult to watch mm. um i think it leaves you i i leave it in a sort of weird calm okay actually by the end of it it, it brings you through this you're watching it and you're just it's hard to watch mm-hmm. and you don't want to look but then you're so carefully coaxed through Mm. that by the time you actually see anything gory shall we say mm-hmm. you've actually you've started to go well come on like like where is it like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, and and you sort of by the end it's it's just uh it's just sort of a part of life and and so i leave it with this very calm feeling because mm. it's like yeah I, I can deal with this i can understand that and uh, the fact that the film just reflects so much about the the work of these people and this thing that is so much a part of our lives and so much hidden away and um you know we put makeup on it and we do all this stuff to it but here it is no filter Mm. just 
this is it. And uh, I like that. I like its honesty. I like its shamelessness. Okay. Because it, it's not something we should be ashamed of. No. Those are these sayings that life is a near-death experience. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> saying. I've not heard that, but yeah. that's that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, um, and I with Alan Ball, it's going back to Six Foot Under. Um, mm. The one of my favourite films uh, is American Beauty, and there is a line in that that always stays with me, and it's um, never underestimate the power of denial. <laughs> and I think in our culture, we very much deny death. There's a lot of you know eternal worshiping of eternal youth and, and a lot of hiding it. So that's a brave film to make in certainly in terms of, uh, of confronting our sort of hang-ups around death because I think other ages and uh, centuries that death was a part of you know it was very present for most people because of illness or war etc so right know, interesting and mm. and we used to be as a society much closer to it and, and mm. much more accepting of it and and like yeah, the, it's interesting. You can kind of track it. Like we moved cemeteries out of the towns, and then mm. death started being moved further and further away from us. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. hasn't got that presence anymore. Mm. No, and uh, it does it does result in people not dealing with it very well, and <laughs> not dealing with mourning very well. Sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there's just I think it's a brave, like you say, it's a brave film to have made and then expect people to sit and watch, mm. which is also I kind of like the ballsiness of it. <laughs> just, yeah. Here you, you go. Know. Have a go at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Brackage, he's was he concerned with universals in terms of he was a, he wasn't um, contextual, was he in many ways? Would that be fair to say? He was he was the bigger he was the bigger picture, the bigger questions of life for him. Yeah, I think I think because the lack of context is, um, if that's kind of where you're going, is a is a running theme for sure. Mm, okay. um, it, you know, I almost picked another film that has has zero context and it's ninety minutes. Okay. Or seventy mm-hmm. minutes, and it's just you know, an out of focus ashtray. Okay. Yeah, that's, that sounds a hard view, but for different reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <minutes. laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, has um, have, have, has your patience levels sort of increased watching Stan Brackage films, <laughs> or do you, yeah, sort of, do, I, you, do you give film a little bit more time rather than expect? Uh, yeah, emotion? and I absolutely, and I've learned that like just because you like somebody, you don't have to like everything they do. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, that is true. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can. Uh, you are allowed not to like everything that they do. Right. That is very you true. Know, I, yes. I certainly like. There's like one of those. He did four of the Faust films. One of them I mm. hate. Mm. <laughs> I just, I just really don't like it at all. Fair but enough. that's that's you know what like he made like 400 films, so there's plenty to choose from. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's a pretty impressive output. Yeah. 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 That is was there, like. Yeah. Sorry, go. Um, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I interrupt. I go. Go ahead. Is, um, is there? Can you with with Brackage? Does he go through um, periods and things in terms of? Uh, no, there's like uh, his early sort of middling period, or like Picasso's blue period, etc. Or is, does is there a sort of uh, development of his art? Yeah, I, and I will say one of my weaker points when it comes to my study of Brackage, I guess, is I purposely have not focused on a biographical. Um, look at him mm-hmm. so that's why i'm a little hazy on <laughs> names and dates sometimes but um he certainly has periods of films 
where so in you have the early films lots of them are drama focused uh, they have some form of a narrative there they might have an actor or two mm-hmm. then he moves into this sort of home movie kind of thing uh, or using himself as an actor a lot mm-hmm. using a combination of that uh, footage from uh, his kids his wife uh, there's a film uh, scene can't remember the name of the film like I said there's 400 of them but mm. um, it's, it's him and his wife having an argument and passing the camera back and forth and they're actually having an argument and passing a camera back and forth and that's the film that's a productive um, marriage yeah. <laughs> yeah right they did get divorced oh, um, oh okay right so filmmakers so, take note yes yeah <laughs> you yeah, can they, turn everything they, turn everything towards your art <laughs> right so and then yeah so when him and uh, Jane Wodening got divorced um, and he remarried she didn't allow him to film their lives in the same way uh. and that is when he moved into this new period of sort of focusing more on uh, these scratch films and painted mm-hmm. films and things like that more abstract stuff yeah yeah mm. much more abstract mm. because he this um, main source of his inspiration I guess previously was sort of removed okay good yeah okay um, Jax, it's unusual film uh, to bring along, and it's all the better for it. So yes, uh, you certainly, I think, persuaded me that this should go in the Emporium. Um, if it's a profound, as profound as you say, then I think it definitely deserves to. Um, so yes, um, the it will go in. So the real t- title again is the act of seeing with one's own eyes the act of seeing with one's own eyes by by Stan Brackage and it's 1971 now I think a lot of his stuff is now on DVD and some of it's quite short films so there'll be collections of it so if you do get the chance please do check it out any other um, experimental filmmakers that um, listeners should be aware of as well Jonas Meekers is that one Jonas Meekers for sure a contemporary Mm -hmm. and friend of Brackage um Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of Kenneth Anger. Mm, um, yes, uh, Lucifer Rising, and is it no yeah, Scorp- Scorpio Rising or Lucifer Rising? Scorpio, uh, Scorpio Rising, and and Lucifer. No, yeah, it um, might have been two, Invocation two of risings. My Demon Brother. <laughs> yes. Um, fireworks. And he wrote. And, he wrote Hollywood Babylon as well, didn't he? He about did it? write Hollywood Babylon, which is of course and... a scurrilous uh, document, um, <laughs> supposedly laying bare the tawdry. Uh, um, cesspool that is uh, 1950s and 60s Hollywood and probably absolutely before then. yeah okay so I if you just, like James just... Elroy and uh, and all his uh, nefarious tales of, of of wrongdoing then yes and Hollywood Babylon is another one to uh, to check yeah. out yes and uh, Hollis Frampton I'll throw in there as well I really like Hollis Frampton. okay not heard of him but excellent yeah. brilliant okay Jax thank you very much you can leave the film we'll pop it into the front window. Thank you very very much much. indeed for your time and your comments. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. uh, Look forward to seeing the place get filled up as you go. Indeed. Yes, there's a few. It's starting to get a little bit of a collection. Great stuff. Take care. Fantastic. Thanks, Toby. Bye. (laughs) 